Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we conclude our series, The Triumph of the Kingdom of God, with a message entitled, The Final Triumph of God's People. So turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 12 as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Every single one of us has faced transitions in life. You know, if you're new to this country, you know what transitions are all about. But whether you're an immigrant or not, all of us have faced transitions in life. You know, some of those transitions are exciting and some are extremely disappointing. But the meaning of a true transition is that you can never go back to how it was before. Transitions may be joyful or painful, but they do change everything. They mean we can't go back to the way it used to be. It's for that reason that everyone ought to be able to identify with Daniel. He was taken as a young man at 14 as a captive, as an exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He was forced to learn a new language and wear new clothing and be educated in ways that would have deeply grieved his forefathers. He faced tests to his faith, and he even faced the possibility of persecution and death. When Daniel moved to Babylon, he was never able to go back to Jerusalem again. But Daniel didn't just transition from Jerusalem to Babylon. He transitioned from being a student to being a political leader. He transitioned to retirement, to a time after the death of Nebuchadnezzar when his influence ended. But then transitioned again as Babylon fell to the Persian Empire as he once more had to learn a new culture and the new rules around political power. He transitioned again when he was an old man. God began to show him terrifying visions of the future. He transitioned again as many of his countrymen were allowed to go back to the promised land, back to Jerusalem. But he was now too old to follow. I have no doubt he felt that sorrow keenly. For you're going to remember that throughout his life, he would pray in the direction of Jerusalem every day. And finally, as we come to the 12th chapter of Daniel, Daniel is close to transitioning to death. Some of us handle change better than others. Some of us accept the new challenge with a joy, and and some of us spend the rest of our lives yearning for the good old days. You know, but Daniel went through transitions well. He found that his God was not only the God of good times, but the God of bad times. He was not just God in Jerusalem or God when he was young and healthy and able to exercise great influence over the governing of a nation. He found out that his God was always God. He could always trust him and have hope. Daniel 12 completes the last vision that Daniel saw about the future. Not only are we all in transition, this world is in transition. The things that seem to be permanent and stable today are going to be gone tomorrow. Daniel foresaw that Babylon would not last, neither would Persia or Greece or Rome. He then foresaw a day of terrible evil coming upon the whole world, but in the end, he was convinced that the Son of Man, the Messiah, Savior of the world, would triumph and God's people would triumph along with him. Daniel 12 gives us a brief description of the time of the end. Verse 1, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who is in charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So Daniel knows there will be a time of great distress that will come upon the earth in the end of days. It's not new to anyone reading the book of Daniel. I mean, from chapter 7 on, Daniel has had a series of visions, beginning with the waves of the restless sea. 
Remember, the restless sea represented the constantly changing, constantly transitioning, constantly unsettled sea of humanity. Out of this human chaos came great and terrible beasts that represented cruel empires that would dominate people and who made human life cheap. Daniel was able to see and predict exactly which empire would arise next. Daniel rightly saw that this restless sea would finally bring to life the ultimate beast, which would bring unparalleled human suffering upon the earth. He knew that a description of the end meant great suffering would come. Now, there was a transition coming that was almost too horrible to contemplate. But Daniel also saw that God would save his people. And Daniel saw that the angel Michael would be sent by God to protect the people of God. God would provide help. God would deliver his people. And if there's any doubt as to who the true people of God are, notice the people of God consists of those whose name is written in the book. According to Psalm 69, 28, all the righteous are listed in the book of life. Philippians 4, verse 3, Paul mentions a number of people who have worked with him, and then he says, their names are written in the book of life. And in Revelation 20, books are opened, and one of them is the book of life for all of the redeemed. The book of life is God's book, of which he will refer in the final day when we stand before him. That's the ultimate transition. And according to Revelation 20, there are many books that are opened on the day of judgment. Their volume upon volume of books in which are recorded all the deeds that have ever been done by every human being. You know, I've often wondered how long the human race is going to stand before God on that day. But it would seem that God has been recording every thought and every deed and every activity and every missed opportunity and every success and failure and every joy and sorrow. God's keeping track. But apart from these volumes that record all human deeds is the book of life. It's not the book of deeds. It's the citizen list of heaven. It contains the names of all those who have been purchased for God from all the nations of the earth. If it recounts any deeds at all, I don't know that it does, but if it recounts any deeds, it recounts the gracious actions of God who in Christ secured a people for himself. So let's continue to read verses two and three. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. See, the first thing that we learn from this text is this. Daniel saw many visions of what would happen in the future, but there was to be a time gap between the present and the future. Multitudes would sleep in the dust of the earth. Many generations would come and go. Death would continue. As Hebrews reminds us, we're all destined to die. After that comes the judgment. Before Christ returns, God has determined that each of us has a course of life to live. And then we face death. This is the final and last of all transitions in a world where nothing remains the same. Even you don't remain the same. So let's speak a little bit about death. The fact that you and I will die is the most significant thing that can be said. Death makes everything that we do meaningful. For instance, have you ever heard of someone wasting time? Have you ever wasted time? Well, if it wasn't for death, you wouldn't speak about wasting time. Time would mean nothing. Or consider this, have you ever heard of someone urge you to seize an opportunity that lay before you? Make the best of it. But if you weren't destined to die, well, you wouldn't have to be urged to seize a moment because there would be an endless series of moments after this one. Death affects all of our choices that we make on this earth. 
In fact, death makes everything we do infinitely meaningful. Now look, Daniel says that multitudes will sleep in the dust of the earth. And from this, we can see that he expected a long period of time to elapse before the end of the world. But we also want you to notice the word that's used here is sleep. I know there are those who argue that means we cease to exist. But the Bible's plain, 2 Corinthians 5a, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So why does the Bible use the metaphor of sleep? Well, I think sleep is an apt metaphor for what happens at death. First of all, when we sleep, we lie down in our beds, we turn out the lights, and we stop all activity. It's a metaphor. Death is the end of human activity on earth. You might be in the middle of a great project, but when you sleep in death, you've stopped your activity. All your activities on this earth are temporary. That's why you shouldn't hold on to the past or fight transitions. See, I want you to think of everything you're now doing, from your job to your school, to the home life, to vacations that you've had, to your children and your friends. One day, you'll stop doing that. You'll sleep. God will turn out the lights and you'll lie down. And there's a second image that's also found in this metaphor of sleep. When you sleep, you dream. You're transported into another realm, a realm that's unlike this earthly realm. When you sleep, you haven't stopped existing. You exist in a different plane. So also, when you die, you'll be an immediate transition from this life to the life to come. I want to say something to you. Is it possible for you to stop existing? It was the late Dr. Dallas Willard who wrote, You are a never-ceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. You are spiritual in substance and never ceasing in duration. You won't stop existing. The amazing thing for those who commit suicide, they don't stop existing. They wanted an end to their pain, but they did not succeed. You know, if you're pronounced ill with a terminal disease, we must tell you that you're not at the point of ceasing to exist. You are at the point of transition. Did you know that Back to the Bible Canada has a weekly video Bible teaching series? All videos, both archived and current, are easily accessible on the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel or online at backtothebible.ca. The videos offer the excellence of Bible teaching you've come to expect from Dr. John Neufeld, providing insight into God's Word, God's character, and the life He has called us to live. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to our Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel. There you can also access past video series and programs, including our recent virtual worship event, The Gathering, 45 wonderful minutes of worship, Bible teaching, laughter, and encouragement. For more information or to support the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, would you call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. What does it mean when Daniel is told that those who sleep will awake? You know, if we never stopped existing, what does it mean to awake? Well, Paul gives us an insight in 1 Corinthians 15 where he says, what is raised at the resurrection is not our spirit, our body. You know, at the second coming of Christ, there will be an awakening of the body. 
Scripture tells us for believers, this new body will be like the raised body of Jesus. And yet we also learn from Revelation 20, verse 5, that there will be something called the first resurrection. That is to say, all who trust in Christ participate in this first resurrection of the body, a body over which the second death has no power. And that would indicate there is another bodily resurrection for the unredeemed. Now, notice again the words of Daniel. Some would awaken to everlasting life and others to everlasting shame and contempt. Notice on both sides of the equation, the outcome is everlasting. And so I say for all those who constantly argue that hell is not everlasting, here is one among many scriptures that insist that it is. I know that the teaching of hell has fallen out of favor. You know, I know that many of you will simply begin by saying that you disagree with this teaching. I know that many think that it's one of the cruelest doctrines ever conceived. You know, we can't imagine a God of infinite love torturing his creation for eternity. Let me take some time to try to defend that teaching. First of all, let me defend it from Scripture. Hell is taught in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Daniel says it's everlasting. Now, if you believe in everlasting life, you must understand that it's the very same word that's used for everlasting contempt. Isaiah also taught that doctrine. Isaiah 66, 24 says, And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Well, in the New Testament, Jesus talked that way. Mark 9, 47 to 48. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. You know, the Greek word that Jesus used for hell, that was the word Gehenna. Gehenna was a garbage dump outside the city of Jerusalem where all the refuse was dumped. In history, the evil king Manasseh had burned his children there to a pagan god, and since that time, all Jews considered it as an unclean place. No use could be found for it other than a place of refuse and perpetual burning. You know, Jesus compared the resurrection to everlasting contempt to this garbage dump, suggesting that the next life for the unrighteous would be like this dump. The fire never stopped burning at Gehenna. It was unclean. Yet in the midst of the burning, there were worms alive. That, said Jesus, is like the life to come when one's name is not written in the book of life. You know, someone might say, well, you may be convinced me that the Bible teaches it, but I still can't believe it. I mean, how can a God of love treat people that way? Well, it would be easy to reject hell on those grounds were it not for at least three things. The first is this. God has placed within the hands of every single human being the awesome power of choosing good or evil. You and I are choosing between heaven and hell every day, and we often fail to recognize it. But all our moral choices are exactly that. Secondly, let me say that since God exists, he does exist as the infinitely glorious God to whom endless praise is due. Well then, failure to love him and surrender to him is the greatest of all crimes. And what I mean is this, God is greater than anything that exists. Therefore, a crime against God is greater than a crime against humanity. A crime against God is an infinite crime deserving infinite punishment. And if that's so, it behooves us to know what constitutes a crime against God. You and I should be appalled to know that each of us has committed just that sort of a crime. And on judgment day, our crimes against God will be plain. 
And thirdly, let me say that if God does not punish this kind of a crime, he is not just, he's not God. So you see that in spite of how horrible the thought of hell is, I can think of a thought more horrifying than that. The thought more horrifying is that infinite crimes go unpunished. What if those horrible beasts that rise out of the turbulent sea lay down in peaceful rest, never to be disturbed? What if the world is not just? What if there is no God who is just? So you see, some will awaken from death to everlasting contempt and others to everlasting life. So I love what this passage says. It says that the righteous will shine like the brightness of the heavens. There's a special splendor that is given to those whose names are written in the book of life. It's been noted that it's actually harder to speak about heaven than it is about hell. You know, evil's fascinating. The problem with many of us is that we find purity and goodness to be less than fascinating. Can you imagine a world which is not tainted by sin and evil? I believe we should try to imagine it. But of special interest to me is the statement that those who lead many to righteousness do receive special honor. You know, I hear the heart of God that he's not willing for any to perish. I hear God calling his people to proclaim the good news to a perishing world. I hear the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of a second chance, of a way to start again, a way to correct our course. God wants us to be agents of reconciliation in this world. So now let me read verses 4 to 12, and I'll simply read them and let us listen because they should be easy to understand. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end of time. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who arrives at the 1,335 days. Notice two things. First, we're promised that God will preserve the precious promises of this book. In the ancient world, when one sealed up a scroll, it was rolled up and wax from a candle was placed over it. And then while the wax was wet, an identifying mark was placed on the wax. If the mark was from a king, no one was permitted to open it except those who had been authorized. By sealing this book, God is telling Daniel that the contents are protected. In the end, in the book of Revelation, we find out that only Jesus is worthy to open it. The second promise is that the horrors of the Antichrist will last no longer than three and a half years. That is, the final abomination of desolation happens. The great horror that breaks out against God's people will last no longer than three and a half years. God is telling us that no matter what evil will happen, he will shorten these days. Since that's true, how should we live? Listen to the wonderful promise at the end of the book. Verse 13, but go your way till the end, 
and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. See, Daniel's told two things. Now, we should take a lesson from him. First, carry on. You can't change the future. You should live your life exactly as you have been doing. Don't freak out. Just continue to be faithful. I mean, you might be living in Babylon, but notice God is in control. And the second lesson, we should be anchored in hope. You know, it's about hope. No matter how dark the horizon becomes, it's about hope. God is in control. And in times of transition, we should remember, he's the God who was and who is and who is to come. He's the God who controls all things. I mean, how else could he have predicted the future with such precision as we have found as we have read through this book? Only God can do that because he's in control. But also Daniel is told that in the end, he will stand in his allotted place. The allotted place is the very place that God has prepared for Daniel. It reminds us of Jesus telling his disciples they were not to worry, for he had prepared a place for them. And for this reason, don't fear. The immediate future may look oh so dark. The long-term future, well, it looks oh so bright. Our best days are surely ahead of us. God's people may be shattered for a moment, and it may appear that our enemies have triumphed over us. But we will stand in eternity. We will see our Savior, and we shall be given a kingdom that shall not pass away. In the end, the kingdom of God will triumph, and we with it. Thanks so much, John. You know, I think it's safe to say that this series could have gone much longer than just two weeks. It's a a whirlwind tour of Daniel. But what would you say are one or two critical things for the listener to go away with? Uh, Number one, I would say God is in control. I mean, the events of this world are leading us to a conclusion. We know what God has told us about the future is true because of the many, many very descriptive prophecies that he's made, detailed, that have come to pass exactly as he has said. So gain faith. Uh, The second thing is don't be alarmed when you see evil from the nations. Continue to hold on to your faith. Don't walk away from it. Know that the Lord our God is in control and uh, take courage. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again next week right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible Teaching you can trust. Hey, have you heard? Our free kids mobile game app, Bible ABCs for Kids, has some great new updates making it easier for you to enjoy time with your children as they dive deeper into God's Word. Let your child enjoy tracing uppercase and lowercase letters well, animated friends cheer them on with the added feature of descriptive poems to help your kids better understand the Bible. Proverbs 22:6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. In a time where most learning is happening online, Bible ABCs for Kids helps our children continue to grow spiritually and in their understanding of God and His unconditional love for each of us. Download the updated version of Bible ABCs for Kids from the App Store and Google Play Store today. Or for more information, 
just give us a call at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.